praises, the praises of your people fill in the atmosphere of this room. Be exalted, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. Father in heaven, be lifted up. We love you. We praise you. We magnify you. Lord, we thank you for this time of worship in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Family, as I was worshiping over here, we were singing a song. This just came to me, so I just have to share it and be obedient. But there's somebody here this morning, you're really struggling. You're really struggling in the area of, of, does God understand where I'm at in this life? Does God understand what I'm facing? You know, a lot of times, you know, God is high and holy and lifted up and he dwells in unapproachable light. He dwells in eternity and he is holy and infinite and powerful. And sometimes we can think as, as just here on this earth, you know, God doesn't understand where I'm at. Jesus doesn't understand what I'm going through. And if that's you this morning, if you're wrestling with that, you're struggling with that, does God, does Jesus, the one who walked the, the, the face of this planet, if you're struggling with, in that area, I got a message for you this morning. I just felt like you need to hear this. The, 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 the essence of my, my teaching this morning is Jesus identified with us, okay? He is high, he is holy, he is eternal. He is almighty God from everlasting to everlasting. But he came to this earth to identify with you. So when you, whatever you face in life, whatever you go through, you can trust in Jesus. Because he, he, he's, he's walked the path before us. So if that's you this morning, maybe you're facing something. I don't know. I don't know what you're facing. This person may be facing. But the, the Lord is wanting to tell you this morning that I've gone before you, I've identified with you, and I know you better than you know yourself. So I got a Bible study for you this morning. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. So y'all ready to study the word together? Let's study the Bible together. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew, here we're uh, going verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew. And man, I am so excited about this study. As I was diving into the word this week, it just fuels my passion. The more I study scripture verse by verse, it's like the Holy Spirit just ignites a passion and a flame inside of me. And I'm just so thankful for it. And I hope he's doing the same for you. But this morning we're studying Matthew chapter 3. We're looking at verses 13 through chapter 4, verse 11. So let's read Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, just to the end of chapter 3. It says, Then, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it at this time. For in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you, Father, for the truth. Now, God, just let us explore it and dive deep into it this morning. 
In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. So actually we're going to go through this morning through chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to look at um, also Jesus' temptation. But the title of my message this morning is Jesus' preparation for his mission. Okay? According to Watson Institute and Brown University, from 2001 to 2020, the United States deployed 2.9 million service members to Iraq, Afghanistan, and the Middle East. These are what we call deployments. Now, if you're in the military, you know the mobilization process. But just in case you're not, when an individual or unit is tapped for deployment, they don't just put them on a plane and say, adios, see you later, and send them to Iraq and Afghanistan. No, that's not how it works. What they first do is they send them to mobilization station. And mobilization station is where they are prepared for their mission. At mobilization, station, they are briefed, equipped, and fully trained up for the mission at hand. That's what happens at MOBE station before they go on their mission, okay? Now, in our passage this morning, this is Jesus at mobilization station. This is his preparation for his three-and-a-half-year deployment to bring the gospel to the world. Prior to verse 13, Uh, of Matthew chapter 3, we have 18 silent years where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. The only thing we know about these years is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52, where it says he submitted to his parents and grew in wisdom and stature. Now, at the age of 30, Jesus receives his mobilization order from heaven. This is the greatest mission in human history. Jesus is fixing to embark on a a three-and-a-half-year earthly mission that will culminate at the cross. In this preparation for his mission, Jesus will be, one, baptized in the Jordan, anointed with the Holy Spirit, and he will come face-to-face with Satan, our arch enemy. Let's follow along this morning at Jesus' preparation for his earthly mission. Let's pick it up in the scriptures at Matthew chapter 3, Verse 13. Many of your captions say the baptism of Jesus. So let's read about the baptism of Jesus. It says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. From Galilee, Jesus traveled roughly 60 miles from Nazareth to the Jordan River. John the Baptist is preaching and teaching and baptizing, and there's a large crowd there. But This account of the baptism is recorded in all four Gospels. And John's Gospel tells us that John the Baptist has a supernatural revelation as uh, Jesus crests the hill and he's coming toward the Jordan. It's found in John chapter 1, verse 29 and 30, where it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Okay, so Jesus has left Nazareth. He's preparing to launch his earthly ministry. And the first place he comes to is the lower Jordan in Israel. Verse 14. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? You know, this is interesting. John recognizes the irony of the situation. What's the irony of the situation? Jesus has nothing to repent of. And John is baptizing for repentance. 
And John the Baptist realizes and understands that Jesus is superior. So what does he do? He says, no, uh, I don't baptize you. You baptize me. That's what's going on in John's mind. He has this divine revelation. This is the hypostatic union. This is the one that the, the, the scriptures pointed to. 100% God, 100% man, and he's coming to start his earthly ministry. But here's the big question in our minds that should be in your mind if you're a theologian and you think about scripture deeply. Why was Jesus baptized? Think about that for a minute. Why was Jesus baptized? He never sinned. He had no need of repentance. He was sinless. He was pure. He was perfect. He was impeccable, the scripture says. Let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus answers this question in the very next verse. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted it. So Jesus was baptized. Now the two words to answer that question, why was Jesus baptized, is found in verse 15. And look at what Jesus says. We've got to study these words for a minute to get our best understanding of why Jesus was baptized. But he says, permit it at this time in this way, for here it is. It is fitting for us to, one word is fulfill. That's the one key word. And the second key word in that verse is righteousness. Now, this word fulfill in verse 15 that word fulfill means to bring to reality, to, to accomplish something that has to take place. And then the word righteousness is what we would call God's perfect plan. In other words, this was absolutely necessary. Okay, This was not a step that Jesus could skip in his earthly ministry. He says it, it was to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus' baptism was necessary to complete our salvation. Why? Because Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I were unable to live. Okay? In other words, your Lord and Savior Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, has gone before you, and he has lived this life, and he knows every little detail. He knows every strength. He knows every weakness. He knows exactly where you're at. Not only is he uh, 100% God and his deity, his omniscience, and all his attributes as God, but he was also humanity. He took on flesh. So he knows what we experience. Listen to Isaiah. This, I'm, I'm keen off that word righteousness. Fulfill all righteousness of verse 15. Isaiah 53, 12 says, He was numbered with the transgressors, yet... He himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. The key word in Isaiah 53, 12 is, was that second word. He was numbered. He was numbered. In other words, he, he came and dwelt among us. Jesus was identifying with sinful, fallen man at his baptism. He was identifying with us. Jesus did experience joys and triumphs, and successes in life, but he also, in his humanity, experienced pain, rejection, heartbreak, and he came face to face with the same world that you and I come face to face with. That's why we can say with confidence, 
no matter what you face in this life, the Lord Jesus has gone before you. And he knows you, and he knows you intimately. He, he, he knows you, family. He knows you, friends. He knows you intimately. That's how great and awesome our God is. That he knows you. There's nothing you can hide from him. He knows every molecular cell structure in your brain, in your feet, in your, in your body. He knows every thought. And that should be very comforting to us because he's our God. He's our God. He's our Lord and our God. And he knows you intimately. He, he, I, I like to say nobody knows my kids better than me and Irene, but that's not necessarily the case. There's one who knows them greater than me and Irene, and that's the Lord God Almighty. His baptism also, so to, to get what, where I'm going at with verse 15, to fulfill all righteousness, uh, in Isaiah 53, 12, Jesus came to identify with us. He, he came to let us know that he lived a life in the flesh, in the humanity also. Now, the baptism is also a beautiful picture of what is to come. And his baptism is a beautiful picture of his death and resurrection. He was baptized. He went down. He came up out of the water. At the end of his three-and-a-half-year earthly ministry, he will die on a cross, be laid in a borrowed tomb, and God the Father will raise him from the dead. So it's a beautiful, prophetic picture of his ultimate mission on this earth. Jesus' baptism is also a picture of your baptism. It's a picture, as a prophetic future picture of your baptism. You know, baptism doesn't save. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, those are two ordinances of the church. We do those to remember the Lord. We do those to follow in his footsteps. But that baptism is a beautiful picture of your salvation. The old, when you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you committed your life to following him, you went down under the water. And the old you, he died or she died. Okay? And then when you came up out of the water, you came to new life in Christ as you were born again, putting your trust in Christ and living for him. So there's, all, there's, he, 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 there's many other ones. He, he modeled obedience. He modeled obedience in his humanity to his heavenly father. So the first phase of Jesus' mobilization, of his preparation for his three-and-a-half-year ministry, is he came to identify with us in his baptism. So phase one is complete in his preparation for starting his earthly ministry. Now, phase two. Phase two. Phase two of the mobilization process, the preparation for ministry, is he has to be equipped. He has to be equipped. Let's pick it up at verse 16. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove, lighting on him. That word lighting just means coming and resting upon him, filling him, anointing him. Verse 17, And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, you've got to understand the climactic and dramatic scene that this is here at the Jordan. Why is it? You know, John is preaching, people are being baptized, he baptizes Jesus. But what makes this so climactic is that all three persons 
of the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all being a part of this baptism. The Son is immersed in the Jordan, according to our last verse, to fulfill all righteousness. The Father is speaking from heaven, giving his love and his approval. He says, this is my, not just my loved Son, this is my beloved Son. This speaks of a special intimacy that God the Father had in his love toward his Son. See, love exists because the Trinity exists. Before time began, in eternity past, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there was this love between them that that our love can't even touch. Hopefully one day we'll experience it in heaven. But he says, this is my beloved Son. God gave his beloved Son, not just his Son, but he gave his beloved Son for our salvation. He gave God the Father Each one of you guys, he says, I'm giving you my very best. I'm giving you my very best and his son. And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, anointing Jesus for his earthly ministry. Now, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, not because he was less than God or because he lost his divinity. That was not the reason. Jesus was fully God in every way. In his deity, he needed nothing, okay? 100% God. But in his humanity, he was being anointed for his earthly mission. This anointing that came on Jesus, this equipping, as I'm calling it, uh, was prophesied in the Old Testament. Take notes, you can go back and read them later. But Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, and Isaiah 62, verse 1, all speak that the Messiah will be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus comes on the scene in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is going to quote Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim Release the captives into recovery of sight to the blind. He set free the, to set free those who were oppressed. So Jesus is saying, this is me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one in my humanity. I'm going to be anointed by the Holy Spirit to do three things. Three things that he quotes there in Luke 4.18 from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Is he the 61.1 or 62.1? But, uh, uh, First thing the Holy Spirit anoints Jesus to do, that he quotes, is one, to preach the gospel. To go about preaching the gospel and spreading the good news from Galilee and Capernaum all the way down to Jerusalem. That was the anointed mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, was to go and preach the gospel. Secondly, to proclaim release to the captives. See, the world then and the world today we all have a common problem, and that's sin. We're, the, the world, you, we come into this world fallen. We come into this world shackled in chains of darkness. And we're going to see in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, and I'll be referencing the other Gospels, 
We're going to see the Lord Jesus, man. He is going to come in powerful. He's going to come in strong, and he's going to set the captives free. And let me tell you something. He can set the captives free today also. Because Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in his ministry of being anointed, um, according to Isaiah and Luke 4.18, was to preach the gospel, release the captives, and we're going to see these beautiful, magnificent times where Jesus brings physical healing, recovery of sight to the blind. He's going to heal people, and he's going to set free those who are oppressed. See, in the first century, there were people that were oppressed. There were people that were downtrodden. There were people that struggled with mental and physical and spiritual issues, just like there are today. And it says, to set free those who are oppressed. Christ Jesus, through the new birth, sets people free. You know, it's like, before I became a Christian, my mind was in a fog, a fog of war, and everything was real hazy. But when I got saved and I committed my life to following Christ, it's like all of a sudden my eyes are open and I think clearly and he gives me a sound mind. Those are the benefits of serving Christ, of serving the Lord, is being forgiven, being set free, being healed, and being set free from being oppressed. But Jesus, the, getting back to the, 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 the doctrine of the Trinity, the Son and the Holy Spirit, Jesus is anointed and equipped by the Holy Spirit in preparation for his mission. In other words, to help you understand it, uh, theologians, is this. It is Jesus and the Holy Spirit doing ministry in the Gospels. See, I say that phrase, theologian, because each and every one of us, each and every one of you guys are a theologian. If you have a view, if you believe theology, if you think about the Bible a lot, you are a theologian. So we have to bring these, these thoughts together and bring everything the Bible says. And we see in Jesus' earthly ministry, yes, it's the second member of the Trinity, the Son taking on flesh, but we also see the third member of the Trinity joining in with the second member of the Trinity to go about bring, doing ministry here on this earth. Amen. Peter confirms this in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Listen to what Peter says. He, 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 he nails this. So beautifully. It's just a beautiful verse. He says, Acts chapter 10, Peter says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him, talking about Jesus, with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So there's this special anointing that comes upon the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry. So preparation for ministry, preparing to launch his ministry on the earth. Phase one, to identify with with fallen man, mission accomplished through through the baptism. Uh, Phase two of uh, of of the preparation for ministry, anointed with the Holy Spirit, check. We got it. Now, in the final stage um, if you've been in the military, you know what I'm talking about. But at the final stage of MOB station, for every military unit or personnel that prepares to deploy, the final stage is what we call FTX. FTX stands for Field Training Exercise. Everything that you've learned at MOB station for three weeks, all the briefings, all the training, all the classes, 
The final week of mobilization station is you go to the field. You go to the field and you put into practice everything that you have prepared for. They face, real, they face the real thing. Unit maneuvers, live combat scenarios, life and death situations, and real battles. That's what happens at mob stations for units that prepare to go overseas. But here we have Jesus. Before his earthly mission, where's he going? The wilderness. He is going on an FTX to the wilderness, to the field, to eyewitness the diabolical schemes and maneuvers of Satan. You see, to defeat an enemy, you have to know their tactics. And now, Jesus, in the final preparation of his earthly ministry, is going to come face to face with Satan and understand his evil tactics. So final preparation before the mission launches, and it literally, we will start it next week with verse 12. But this final stage, he's, he's got to go, go to the wilderness on his FTX. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. Look at what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, when you hear the word temptation, the word that's used here in verse 4, it can be misleading. Did Jesus, the question becomes in our minds if we're thinking about this, did Jesus have an inward desire to sin? Because that's what we think temptation. We think temptation, you think, oh man, I really am being tempted, being pulled in the area of wanting to, be, to commit a sin. Is that the case here? No, that is not the case here. James chapter 1 verse 13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Look at the next part of the verse. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. The Greek word here for tempted in verse 1 is parezo, and it means to test. It means to witness the strength of how strong something is. It means to, to test the resiliency, to, 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 to be fortified, to be tested to see the strength. So, this is not, I repeat, family, this is not Satan dragging Jesus in the wilderness to entice him to sin. This was initiated by God. Look at the beginning of verse 1, of uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, then Jesus was what? Led by the Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. It was not Satan, okay? It was not Satan. He wasn't at the whim of Satan. This was completely sovereign. This was completely led by the Lord. This was the Holy Spirit who had anointed Jesus at the baptism, going into the wilderness, going into the training exercise to prepare for the earthly ministry. This family is Jesus in the trenches. This is Jesus in the trenches getting a firsthand account of what, you ready for this? You and I will face in this world, okay? And the one that he's coming up against to defeat. You see, once he gets to the cross and he dies on the cross, he dies on the cross, what does it do to Satan? That crushes him. That destroys his work. And his, his, 
dominion over people's lives. Because when you and I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and we believe in that cross, what took place there? The defeat of Satan is applied to our lives and the chains and the shackles drop off through our trust and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He sets us free as we commit our lives to following him. But again, look at the wording closely in verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And Jesus' strength and his resiliency was impeccable. Impeccable. Look at verse 2. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, again, we are witnessing Jesus in his humanity. He is fasting. He is focusing on his Father. He is consecrating himself to the Father in his humanity. What is fasting? What is fasting? Fat? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's abstaining from food. It's, it's abstaining from food or other physical requirements for life to seek God's face. To spend intimate time with the Lord. And I will be the first one. I will stand before you today and confess. I fall short in this area. I fall short in this area of fasting. And I do believe that fasting is for today. Fasting is simply, I'm not saying you go 40 days without food or none of that. But I'm saying fasting is when you abstain from a lunch meal or abstain from a dinner meal and replace that time that you be feeding your face with time in the word and prayer. But we need to take the focus off ourselves at times and our physical needs and focus on the Lord and say, Lord, instead of that cheeseburger and french fries today, I'm going to study your word and I'm going to read your word at lunch. And Lord, I know you'll sustain me the rest of the day until I get to dinner tonight. Now, some people may go more than that. Some people may go a couple meals or a couple days. That's between you and the Lord. But prayer and fasting is very, very important and it is for today. Now, Think about this. This is Jesus, the Son of God, fasting, okay? This is the second member of the Trinity who came down from heaven, who lives forever and ever. He, he is fasting. If Jesus, the Son of God, had to fast and pray before engaging in spiritual warfare, how much more should you and I do the same? You know, there are battles in this life that we face, that the only way we're going to win that battle is on our knees and in prayer and in fasting and calling upon the name of the Lord and seeking his face. You and I are foolish to think we will survive spiritually in this dark world if we spend no time in prayer or in the word. If you do not exercise spiritual disciplines, prayer, word, fellowship, yielding to the Spirit every day, you will fall. Okay? It's just that simple. You know, you got to stay strong in the faith. you got to stay strong in prayer. you got to stay strong in the Word. you got to stay strong in fellowship. Okay? we we, we got to do that so that we stay strong in the fight of serving Christ and not falling to, to the schemes of the devil. If Jesus had to do it, friends and family, you and I have to do it. 
Let's pick it up at the end of verse 3. The end of verse 3, excuse me, the end of verse 2 goes with verse 3. It says, He then became hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and said to him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here it is, family. He's in the field, he's in the wilderness. And this is the final stage before he launches his ministry. And he comes face to face with Lucifer. He comes face to face with Satan. And the first temptation, if you, just, if you just casually read over this first temptation, you would think it's about eating. But it's not about eating. It's not about eating. This test here is for Jesus in his humanity to place his own physical needs above God's plan, okay? Jesus responds here with Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. If you go back and you study Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, that, is, uh, that was spoken by Moses to Israel when they were placing their own physical needs above God's plan for their life, okay? So, yes, if you're, if you're thinking rightly, we have to place, we have to make God's priority, our priority, even above our own well-being and our own physical needs. We have to place him first in everything. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added, and God will take care of the rest. We have to place him first. You and I face the same temptation on a regular basis to place even our physical needs over our spiritual needs. There is absolutely nothing more important in this life than faith in God, okay? There's nothing more important, nothing. Think of anything, everything. Faith in God is the most important thing that you must have in this life. Why you must carve out, this is why we must carve out time to spend with our Lord in prayer and word and fellowship. He is more important than the air you breathe or the next meal you eat. And that's why he quotes Deuteronomy um, chapter 8, verse 3. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The thought process is, Lord, I'm clinging to every word. I'm, I'm following your word. I'm following your Holy Spirit. And I'm clinging to everything your word says. And I'm trusting you with all my heart, even above my own well-being. Okay? You know, that's that's opposite philosophy of thinking of our world today. The philosophy of the world says place yourself first, but that's not biblical. Place God first, and then he'll take care of everything else. And check this out. He can do a whole lot better job than you at taking care of yourself. He's much better at it. So that's the first temptation. Let's look at the second temptation. The second temptation, the second testing is in verses 5 through 7. It says, Then the devil took him, into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So here we have the second tactic. Satan's second tactic against Jesus 
was for him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. And so what does Satan do? Do you notice what Satan does here? He quotes Psalm 91. He quotes, he quotes scripture. Satan quotes scripture to imply, not, not, it's not true, not what it says, but to imply that God would rescue him from this foolish decision. You and I fall for this temptation, this same temptation, when we intentionally sin or create a crisis in this life and then expect God to come and bail you out, to come and rescue you, after, even though you knew it was wrong in the first place. No, I do not believe that's how it works. I believe if, if you make a foolish decision or do things that are unwise, God will use it as a teaching moment, as a teaching moment, and allow you to suffer the consequences of your decision so that you will not repeat the same mistake. We don't, you don't put the Lord your God to the test. Friends and family, if you go out and you go skydiving and you jump out of that plane without a parachute, it's going to hurt, okay? You probably won't feel it, but you're going to smack the ground. Don't, don't put the Lord your God to the test and things like this. That's, that's crazy. We don't, we don't put him to the test. We, we, we pray and we say, God, give me wisdom for Christian living. Give me wisdom for life. And if we make a mistake, you make a mistake. If you sin, if you blow it, then confess it. Bring it to his throne of grace. Brush off the dust and, and say, Lord, please teach me. Teach me. You know, some of the greatest lessons I've learned in this life have come from my mistakes and my sin. Lord, the Lord has taught me graciously over the years that there are consequences for bad decisions. And um, I don't like suffering consequences for bad decisions. So what I do is I ask the Lord to give me wisdom in the first place and, and help me, Lord, and I seek out your word. But we, but we don't... Um, we, verse 7, Jesus said to him, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we don't put the Lord our God to the test. Satan's final assault. Satan's final assault as Jesus is out in the wilderness. Verse 8, look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. This is interesting. It, 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 goes, um, it goes from wilderness to temple to, to this mountain. And he takes Jesus up on a mountain and shows Jesus all the world. Now, spiritually speaking, if you look out across the world, what would you see? You'd see darkness. You'd see a dark, fallen world. A dark, fallen world. You would see all the immorality, all the idolatry, and all the darkness. And he offers it all to Jesus if Jesus will just bow down. Look at verse 10. Let, let's let, let Jesus speak for himself here. How does he deal with this, this temptation in his humanity? Then Jesus said to him, 
Go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He sends Satan packing. It says, you will have no part here. This temptation, the temptation here, every believer faces. You face this temptation. I've faced this temptation. After we become a Christian, after, after, we've, after we've given our life to Christ, you know, we see what's taking place in the world. And Satan will come and sift us out. And he'll say, man, look out there. Look at your old life. Look at what you used to do. Look at all the darkness. Didn't you really enjoy that? And he'll, he'll, he'll try to drag us back into darkness. He takes us up on a mountain, as if it were, in our mind. And we think about our new life in Christ. And we think about the world that we left behind. And there's sin and there's righteousness. There's darkness and there's light. There's slavery and there's freedom. And a believer is called to run from the darkness. And his allegiance is to God and God alone. And Jesus, the eternal son of God, 100% God, 100% man, in, gospel, in the Matthew gospel here, the focus of the text is in his humanity. He is saying to us today that I have gone before you. I have experienced this life, and you can trust in me because I am mighty to save and mighty to deliver if you will just commit your life to following me. That is what God will do for us. Verse 11, verse 11, our, our last verse. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Man, I just love that verse. You, did, you, you sense the intimacy. You, you, you sense uh, here Jesus in his humanity is exhausted and weary, being ministered to by God's angels from above. You know, when you and I have fought the good fight through the blood, through the sweat, through the tears, I believe he will do the same for you and I when we fight the good fight. He will come and minister to us through angels or through a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, but he will send a messenger to encourage us, Christian, when you are weary and when you are tired, okay? Sometimes... There was a song by Twyla Paris back in the 80s called The Warrior is a Child. You might remember that song? The Warrior is a Child. We fight like a warrior. We, we go into battle. We serve the Lord with all of our heart. But sometimes the warrior gets wearied and we need to go back to our Heavenly Father and need to sit at his feet and we need to rest. And we need him to minister to us. And that's what these angels are doing here to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the preparation of, for Christ's earthly ministry. The Lord Jesus Christ is now ready for deployment. He is rough, he is tough, he is tried, he is true, and he is tested. It's time to go kick the devil in the mouth. 
It's time to go and seek and save that which is lost, you and me. And we will pick that up next week. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 12, we are going to follow Jesus through his earthly ministry. Through, he's going to go to Nazareth. He's going to go to Capernaum. He's, he's going to go all over the land preaching the gospel because he's identified with us. He's been baptized. He's been anointed with the Holy Spirit. In closing, application time. What can we learn from Jesus' preparation for ministry? I want to give you three things to go home with. What can we learn from Jesus' preparation time for the launching of his ministry? Number one is this. Jesus knows you completely because he has identified with you. Okay? He knows you completely. Jesus knows your strengths. Jesus knows your weaknesses. Jesus knows where you're confused. Jesus knows where you have it right. He knows you intimately. And he has lived this life and he has gone before us. And we can give it all to him because he knows us completely. Number two, God has anointed you and I with the Holy Spirit so that we can serve him and be effective in ministry. What gift has the Holy Spirit given to you? Maybe you know your gift. Praise the Lord. Use it. Exercise it. Walk in it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you need to go home and pray and say, Lord, show me my gift. Maybe you need to ask a couple of brothers or sisters in Christ who know you well and say, um, hey, what, what gift do you see me operating in? You know, a lot of times I've found in life, first we've got to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show us. But a lot of times it can, can be confirmed by a brother or sister in Christ. He says, man, you're a really great teacher, or you're a really great encourager, or you just have this awesome gift of, of, of working with students, or whatever the ministry may be. But operate in your gift that the Holy Spirit has anointed you for in ministry. And number three, this is probably the most important, all of them are important, but to need this one grab my heart the most, is uh, if you are going to win the battle with temptation, you have to spend quality an intimate time with God in prayer and the word. There's just no way around this, okay? There's just no way around this. Little prayer, little bit of word, a little bit of victory. No word, no prayer, no victory. The more you pray, the more you spend time in the word, in your devotional time with your Lord every day, the more you spend time with him, the more you're going to win the fight with temptation, okay? Every single one of us face temptation, and God has given us tools to win the fight, but we have to spend time. And when you're tempted to not spend time with the Lord, think about Christ. He had to go alone and spend time with his heavenly Father. And if Jesus had to do it, friend, so do you and I. So do you and I. Have you committed your life have you committed your life to him? Please understand, Christianity is not something you stumble into. It's not something that you're born into. It's a decision that you make in your heart that says, Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to forgive me of my sin, and I'm going to commit my life to following you. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 
if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Have you made that decision? Have you committed your life to following Christ? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Put your trust in Christ. Do it this morning. Do it today. Say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I trust you. Please forgive me of my sin and help me to follow you all the days of my life. And you can walk in this victory and you can join us in exploring the ministry and the life of Christ as we study it verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for this awesome, amazing study, God. Lord Jesus, I pray that each and every person here today is reminded that you came into this world to identify with us. So every man, every woman, every child, each one of us knows that you came and identified with us. And you know our strengths. You know our weaknesses. Lord, help us to be real with you. Lord, help us to walk in the anointing, to walk in the gift and exercise the gift that you've given us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, help us to understand this morning that the battle against sin, the, the, the victory we can achieve starts with prayer in the word and spending intimate time with you. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word. Bless your people, encourage your people, fill them with a passion to live for you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.